Why don't you turn with me to the book of Colossians and we are kind of in the home straight. We probably only have a number of weeks left. We as a church have been going through this book in some ways at a painstakingly slow pace, but it hasn't felt like that because every week has been something different and the Lord has really been giving life to us through this book. And it is so important, especially if you're joining us for the first time, that you understand what's going on here. This is not just this weird little part of the Bible. It's an actual letter written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit to a real church 2,000 years ago, a Roman church in what is what would be today uh, modern-day Turkey. He's got them in mind. He's got a Roman household in mind. And the first thing he does is try to get them to understand the supremacy and the reality of Jesus. And then he moves into their salvation. What have, they, what have we received in Christ in terms of his victory over death and sin on the cross? And then for most of the time, he's getting really practical. He's taking this reality and he's deep dying or diving all of these practical areas of our lives. The assumption being, if this is true, that changes everything. And so today we are going to be talking about where most of us either will or are already spending most of the hours of our lives. That is the workplace. Now, most of us will spend 85 to 100,000 hours of our lives at work. All right, and some of you are going to spend a lot more time at work. And for some of you, that's like heaven and earth. And for some of you, it is not heaven on earth. But the assumption is this. If you as a Christ follower spend most of your life at work, who Jesus is in your life has to make a difference there. And the Bible has so much to say about this and we're gonna zone in on specifically just these few verses, kind of just coloring in this part of the picture with regards to our faith and the difference that makes in the workplace. For those of you who are working, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in a second. But you've got five fingers, most of you got five fingers. I'm gonna ask you on a scale of one to 10 to illustrate how much you love your work with the number of fingers in the air. One being I hate my job, five being I love my job. And if your boss is here, I give you permission to lie. All right, so the count of five, all right, raise your hands. Now, am I lying? Am I telling the truth? Who knows? Um, but guys, I, I truly have the, privilege and the opportunity. We've got a nine there. No, okay, sorry. Nine and a half. Oh, there we go. I put up a five. I truly, I truly, I truly, and I really mean this. I, I love what I get to do with most of my life. But for some of us, Work is not fun. Work is not a happy place. The first job that I, I worked in and that I actually trained for professionally, I was a geologist. And, and the thing that I loved most about being a geologist was the paycheck. Um, coming out of being a student and getting by with the bottom of the line, uh, suddenly getting this paycheck. I mean, I probably bought a whole lot of stuff I didn't need in the first few months of being a geologist. Uh, but that's what I waited for. It was the paycheck, the paycheck, the paycheck. There was nothing about the job that uh, got me excited about life. Uh, as I was studying geology, I enjoyed the kind of the science behind it and the theory behind it. But uh, being a junior geologist, starting out when most junior geologists have to start out on the mine, I realized, man, I don't like mines. It, it, it is a brutal place. It felt like I'd gone back 30 years in terms of some of the open racism that was there. It's just, you know, breaking apart the earth. And I just realized, man, I, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. 
Uh, and as some of you know my story, by that stage of my life, I already knew that the Lord had called me into full-time ministry. The only question was kind of when, when, how. But I still was walking faithfully in terms of just needing to work into a professional space and start working. But for me, it wasn't a joy. And I wonder for how many of you that feels very similar for you. But now as much as you might hate your job, just be thankful you don't have one of these two jobs I'm gonna talk about, jobs that in many ways don't actually exist anymore. Um, in the times of kings and queens, uh, the, the only person who could actually strike the king's son, the prince, was the king. So often when the prince was naughty and doing naughty things, um, the king wasn't around to strike the prince. So they would hire a whipping boy. All right, and this was long before kind of like human rights and child labor laws and all this kind of thing. And, um, and the whipping boy would literally get punished for the prince's faults. All right, <laughs> yeah. Some of your parents are like, oh, that's a brilliant idea. Um, then another job that I'm so thankful that none of you have and that I don't have, 18th and 19th centuries, kind of Wales, Scotland, Ireland around there, uh, England, they had what is known as a sin eater. Basically, someone in your family would pass away, they'd lie them down, they would take a piece of bread, place the, place the bread on the corpse, and the understanding was, kind of super, in a superstitious way, that the bread would absorb all the sins of this person, somehow absolving them. And then they would hire a sin eater to come and eat this bread saturated with this person's sins. Um, and they would kind of, in, in their mind's eye, go to heaven scot-free. And this sin eater, you can imagine, just became a total wretch in society. No one wanted to know them because they were saturated with everybody's sin. So uh, those are jobs that no longer exist anymore and I'm sure you're loving your job a little bit more right now. Uh, but there are some jobs even today that really uh, can really feel like an absolute waste of time. I mean, there are people today whose exclusive job it is to put indicators on BMWs. No, <laughs> just take some time. It'll sink in, it'll sink in. Maybe I say that out of a bit of jealousy, but who knows? But the whole idea is this, whether we love our jobs or hate our jobs, we spend most of our time there. And as Christians, as Christ followers, we need to be asking the question, what does it mean to bring the reality of Christ into my workplace? And what does that look like? And this is what Paul is going to be speaking into. As we read this, just before I get stuck in there, um, Craig mentioned this a few weeks ago. We mentioned this even a few weeks before that. The primary language Paul is gonna use here is a language of slave and master. Now, for some of you, that really feels like what your job feels like, all right? Um, but on a serious note, when we see the word slave, Many of us picture kind of what happened in the 17th and 18th century where colonial powers went in usually to African nations and kidnapped whole bunches of people. This was a race-based kidnapping. Many of these slaves dying on the ships on the way to these colonial places where they would be forced to work against their will in absolutely horrendous conditions, many of them not surviving those. And so we hear the word slave and we think of that and... Um, what we need to do whenever we read the Scriptures, whether it's this passage or any other, is to realize there's a 2,000-year culture gap between our experience of life and what Paul was writing into. And so when Paul talks about slave and master language, he's not picturing what we picture from the movies and the documentaries and maybe even in some of our family's histories. 
Paul is picturing a, a Roman slavery, which is, it was by no means perfect, but it was very, very different. So while kind of modern slavery, by modern, I mean the last three, four centuries, uh, um, was race-based, in Roman slavery, it wasn't race-based. In fact, up to 50% of the walk, uh, workforce were slaves. Slaves in the Roman world could actually become very wealthy and have great positions of power. Many people for that reason chose to remain slaves for the quality of life that they had. Many people actually chose to become slaves if they were not Roman citizens in order to eventually go through the system and buy their way out of the Roman system and become complete Roman citizens. And for that reason, when Paul is writing into a context, and, 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 and by the way, uh, the seeds that are sown by the Scriptures into passages such as this, uh, a, a book about uh, like Philemon, which we read at the end of last year as a church, um, actually sows the seeds for the overturning of these systems. But just in your mind's eye, we have to be a little bit imaginative as to what is going on here. But the closest analog for today's purposes is not so much, again, modern slavery, but more you in your workplace. The fact that most of us are contractually obliged to provide some form of services. If we don't, there's going to be some sort of penalty, some sort of legal action against us. We are in many ways tied into the system and uh, it, it's, it has its benefits, but it also has its difficulties, right? And so Paul is going to write in many ways to the employers and to the employees. And for that reason, I think many of us can take something away from it. So let's read together. We're going to read from Colossians 3, verses 22 to Colossians 4, verse 1. We're going to read in one go and then just slowly unpack what is going on there. So verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be replied for his wrong and there is no favoritism. Over the page, masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So Paul is addressing first the employee and he's saying as a Christ follower, there are certain values that need to be lived out in your employment. And then he speaks to employers. Now, the first thing that he, that he speaks to employees about says, if you're working for someone, as a Christian, your work is gonna be defined by working with integrity and with excellence. You just need to read these verses and you're gonna see that this is what Paul is assuming, that we are gonna be obeying Christ, that we are working with sincerity of heart, reverence for the Lord, working with all of our hearts because we're working for Christ and not for whoever is writing our paycheck. Now compare that with some of the maybe caricature ideas that we have of what Christianity and workplace looks like. For some of us, uh, the workplace is simply an opportunity to evangelize. Now, in many ways it is. And God does place us into our workplaces for kingdom effects. But in terms of these particular verses, Paul is saying, listen, if all you're doing is running around, speaking to people about Jesus, having Bible studies, but you're not doing your job properly, you are working against what it means to be a Christian at work. 
For others, being uh, just in our kind of imagination, being a Christian at work means I need to advertise my Christianity as often as possible. So I'm driving a truck, so I need to have a sticker on the back. Jesus, take the wheel. Or I run a, a coffee shop and I have to call it Hebrews, right? Um, ha ha clunk, right? Now, you, you need to figure out if, if that's wise or not. But for Paul, he's saying, you really want to know what it means to be a Christian in the workplace? What it actually means is that you're going to be defined by, and I'm just pulling words out of and, and ideas out of these verses. You're going to be defined by integrity, sincerity, a sense of can I, says Bob, can I trust Bob? Not because he says he's a Christian, but he has demonstrated that he is trustworthy. Is he reliable? Is he honest? Is he engaged? Is he making a difference? Is he working with excellence? I was reminded as I was reading through these verses, preparing for today, of a, of a movie many of you have seen uh, called Courageous. Us as men have also uh, watched it many times and worked through it uh, uh, in our men's ministry. But I was reminded of this little story around this character and his name is Juan. And, and he needed a job opportunity. He was given a job opportunity and he actually started just working well. And his employees noticed that this guy works with all these qualities, integrity and excellence. And, uh, and an opportunity opened up, a bit of a supervisory role. They pulled him in, they sat him down and there's this kind of stern board of men behind this table looking at this guy who's desperately wanting this position. And they say to him, listen, Juan, we've seen you. We've seen how you work. We like what we see and we would love to offer you this supervisory position. So, so we'd love to just try it out on you. So he has a shipment coming in. Uh, we'd love you just to take care of the shipment. Just, would you take some of these containers and just send them one way and keep it off the books? So Juan's kind of shocked. So he goes home, he's, he's a believer, and he's in this quandary because he desperately needs this position. And he really believes that he can do it well. But he's got this ethical uh, uh, um, uh, difficulty that's, that he's being faced with. So he goes back the next day and he sits down with the uh, big bosses and he's, he's so nervous because he knows what he's about to do and, and how badly he wants his job and he's about to disappoint them. He says, listen guys, I'm so grateful for this opportunity and, and I really think that I could do this job well, but the thing you asked of me, I cannot do. And, and this board just kind of really glaring at him and you're expecting him to be dismissed, Right? And the one guy cracks a smile, comes around to the table, shakes him by the hand and says, listen, we've had a number of people in this position and they have acted without honor and without integrity. And we need someone like you for this job and you have passed the test. Well done, Juan, right? Now the question is, and there's no kind of promise that every time we do that, things are gonna go our way. But the question is, with regard to you in the workplace, can that be said of you? Can that be said of you? Now, Paul actually raises the bar a little bit uh, higher here where he says this. Listen, we need to have this kind of integrity at work, but not only when our boss's eyes are on us to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. In other words, the real test for the Christian is not gonna be how many stickers we got around, uh, Christian stickers around our cubicle. It's not even gonna be how we work when everyone's watching us. It's gonna be how we work 
when we're not being watched. Right? Imagine every single one of you who are at least employed, you go to work tomorrow and your boss sits you down and says, listen, I just want to let you know. Um, we're letting everybody know that for the last three years, we have been observing every single keystroke on your computer. We have been, um, we put cameras in cubicles and, and, we, and we're just going to go through this and, and we're going to see just where we are as a company. Just in your situation, what would be the first thing that goes through your mind? Oh no, right? I hope they didn't see me when I, dot, 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 dot. Right, creative accounting. I mean, I love creativity. Accounting is just not one place that you can do creative accounting, right? <laughs> Napping, right? Social media, the, the whole day on, on our computer or downloading movies or watching porn at work, whatever the case might be. Not working with this kind of integrity, Now, there's a TV show, I don't think it's made it to South Africa. Um, uh, It's a a TV show called Undercover Boss or Undercover Bosses. And and the the general picture here is that this guy comes in, uh, uh, he's the boss of a big company and he wants to see what's it really like to work in this company and what's really going on. Are there any efficiencies, inefficiencies we can take care of and whatever. And so he'll come in, this guy's, and uh, really come in at a bottom level of the company. No one will recognize him and he'll flip burgers or do the front line or sell chips or uh, uh, kind of you know, answer phones, whatever the case might be. But in doing that, he's really getting a different view of what's going on in his company. Now, of course, it's reality TV, so they have to have some drama. So uh, half of the stories really are about superheroes in their company. Just like single moms and just people who are going the extra mile, who are working with integrity and are, are really going above and beyond. And people are like, yes, like, wow, it's so amazing to have people like this in my company. That's kind of half the stories. The other half of the stories are people who are doing exactly the opposite. People who are really just like throwing away the name of the company, who are working unethically, who are kind of doing shady things, who are just angry at customers, etc., etc., etc. And the time comes... When the undercover boss comes out, pulls all these people in front of him and says, actually, that guy who was flipping burgers with you, that was me. And, and generally, the, the way the show plays itself out is those who did well and, and those who are these kind of like superheroes at the bottom, you know, they were given rewards and their, their kids' school fees were paid for or they were given uh, new opportunities or they're given training and uh, they were kind of receiving these rewards. But those who were working inethically and um, who were really throwing away the name of the company, they were held to account. Now, while when we go to the workplace, it is probably unethical for your boss to kind of record every keystroke of yours and to have a camera on you. And I don't know if your CEO will ever do this undercover boss in your workplace. But what these verses are saying is that there is someone who is watching every single thing that we do. It is not the person who signs your paycheck. But it is the Lord. It is the Lord. And we are going to be held accounts to this. In fact, let's just read verse 24 and 5 again. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Verse 25 though, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong and there is no favoritism. Now for the Christ follower, this is telling us that a time will come where we will be held accountable for what we did at work, for how we worked, for our character, for our integrity, 
for our sincerity of heart, for our passion, for how we contributed. And not only when everyone was watching so we can somehow get favor with our bosses, but even when no one is watching. Now for the Christian, this is not about you can maybe lose your salvation. This is about a reward system where the Lord, our true master, will say, well done and will reward us for those who did well. And for those who did not, verse 25 is clearly telling us that there will be consequences. There will be an accounting for us at work. So now, Paul moves, that's what he's speaking to employees and then he moves to the realm of the employers and in many ways, he's got kind of one thing he wants to say, but I just wanna say, obviously he's assuming everything else. So even though he's got something very specifically that he wants to address bosses with or masters or employers, he's gonna be assuming the same integrity, the same character, the same, you know, when people are watching versus when people are not watching. He's assuming all of that. But when it comes to um, employers, this is what Paul says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. If you want to underline anything, underline those two words, right and fair, because you know that you have a master in heaven. In other words, you may be the big boss. You may be the CEO. You are answerable to no one, is how we think, right? And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. There is someone you're answerable to. And the number one thing that we as Christian employers are gonna be held accountable for above our character and all of these other things is are we serving and are we helping and are we providing those in our employee with what is right and with what is fair? And a big follow-up question will be, well, what is right and fair? And I really don't know if we can go into that this morning I also don't really believe that the Bible goes all the way into some sort of socialism. I don't think that's ever a teaching of the Scriptures. But for Christian employers, something they need to wrestle with, with the responsibility and the opportunity that God has given them, is is part of my mandate as a Christian, is to consider what is right and what is fair. I was reading an article on Forbes.com a couple of days ago about the American airline company, Southwest Airlines. And they've got a pretty impressive track record when it comes to their business. 44 years in a row, profitability. Number one lowest customer complaints in their industry and no layoffs ever. Now, what are they in the business of? They're an airline company. In fact, they're one of the kind of the low cost airline companies in the United States. But if you ask the the co-founder, Herb Kelleher, what are you in the business of? This is what he says. The business of business is people. And behind many of their successes is the fact that they see their employees as their number one customer because they assume if their employees are happy, the business will be happy. And if the business does well, they want to reward their employees and not only the shareholders. So in 2017, this was the article that I was reading, they announced that they'll be sharing all $586 million of their profits with their 54,000 employees. Now some of you are like, where can I sign up? And well, unfortunately, they're not here. But Paul is saying, now you can, I'm not saying you need to agree with that. What I am saying is we as Christian employers 
one of the primary areas we are gonna be accountable for is have we paid what is right and what is fair and by whose standard? And may I suggest that maybe the Lord is calling us to think about a different standard, right? Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, but okay, I'm not a boss and, and whew, I'm off the hook here. No, 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 many of us here, you might not be a CEO, you might not be an FD, you might not run a small business, but many of you here employ a domestic worker, you employ a gardener, you are gonna tip people. I mean, I've heard insane stories of coffee shops or whatever that are close to big churches and that regularly these waitresses from Christians, instead of getting a tip, will get a little Bible verse written on the slip. Now, that just makes me, to be honest, want to vomit in my mouth because that is so far from what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a blessing to our world, what it means to display the generous way that Christ has been generous towards us. So how do we wrestle with these things? Now, is all of this easy? Of course not. We live in a country with arguably one of the biggest pay gaps between the lowest and the highest, the rich and the poor in South Africa. We have unprecedented levels of unemployment. If you go in and start making massive changes to your pay structure in your company tomorrow morning, you'll probably be fired, right? So I'm not saying this is easy, but I'm saying this is something worth wrestling with. This is something worth thinking about prayerfully and asking the Lord's blessing upon as you try and apply some divine wisdom. Because us as Christians, going back through all these practical areas that we've spoken through in the book of Colossians, what we eat, what we drink, how we do community, how we do church, how we do relationships, how we do forgiveness, right? We, we are passing all of these realities of our lives through the filter of the gospel, we are asking the question, how do we tell the story of the gospel through these practical areas of our lives, including through how I am an employee or how I am an employer? It's worth wrestling with. It's worth, worth thinking through. It isn't one of the main goals for us as Christians to consider how do we love the Lord our God and how do we love our neighbours as ourselves and the question now is just how do we do that in the workplace? And I would argue that if we live these values out, we are going a long way to loving the Lord our God and loving our neighbor. I would argue that one of the best ways we can love our neighbors, if you are in manufacturing and you're making tables, now I don't have anyone in mind, I don't think anyone here makes tables, but if you are, make the best tables, right? If you're making coffee, make the best coffee and thankfully you do. All right? If you're offering a service, give the best service. If you're gonna be an airline pilot, one of the best ways you can love your neighbor is by being the best airline pilot. Being the best doctor. Being the best accountant. Right? Loving our neighbor in that way. Being the most joyful at work. Being the most supportive. Being the most for the company. Bringing hope. Bringing integrity bringing uh, some creative thinking around just how do we think differently around the financial structure of our company, right? How we love God and how we love our neighbors. This doesn't mean that we won't regularly feel frustrated in the workplace by our bosses, by those who work for us, those we work with, the kids that we're teaching, right? Parents of the kids that we're teaching, the systems around us, 
tax, government, whatever, but we are called to live in these broken systems, around broken people, in ways that point people towards a, a new way, the way inaugurated by Jesus. And so as we wrap up, I, I wanna leave us with a few questions and they were really directed to this passage. Again, the Bible has so much more to say about the workplace and about faith and work. But I, I wanna give you some questions and maybe one of these questions will stand out to you and, and maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, go home with this. Think about this. Don't just brush this off and go back to, you know, the status quo tomorrow. But here's the first question for you. And this, all these questions would be equally applied to you as, as people at work, as employees or employers. Are you, number one, are you profit or purpose and people driven? I think the, the Lord never calls us to abandon thinking about the economics of business. But our primary goal as Christians is to think about loving the Lord our God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're gonna start asking the question, what is the purpose of what I do here? The ultimate purpose, the kingdom purpose. And just because you're not employed by a church like me or employed like some of you in a missions organization that you're in inverted commas, just a teacher, just an FD, just you know whatever, there is a redemptive purpose that God has placed you in that position for. And what is that? Right? Number two, how does your work allow you to love and serve your neighbor? Again, to go to this picture of just making good tables, I mean, that's something to celebrate, making good products to love your neighbors with that's gonna stay in their families for decades because you made it well. But as you think creatively around your position of influence, working, I know many of you are teachers, you have such a tremendous opportunity and I know how hard it is for you. But the Lord is inviting us to reframe what we do here in our minds. How's your work allowing you to love God and love your neighbor? Number three, are you honoring God with your integrity and your character at work? Are you mindful that you're not only accountable to the board of directors, governing body, your boss, are you mindful that there is somebody north of that for whom, sorry, to whom we are gonna be held accountable? What is going on behind closed doors? And how, how does understanding the Lordship of Jesus in our lives change that? Number four, are you being a blessing by providing the best service? Are you, mowing the lawn, making coffee, teaching, whatever, but are you investing in bringing your best? Or do you see work as a necessary evil? Well, one of the realities around the workplace in the Bible is that um, in Genesis chapter three, that's where we see the fall of man. That's where we see sin enter the world. And for some of us, work is a consequence of sin. It is a fallen experience. It is all about pain. But that's not what we see in the scriptures. God creates work in Genesis chapter two, in chapter two, verses 15. He places the man in the garden and he says, work the garden and take care of it. Didn't place man in a jungle and just say, survive? No, no, no. Work, cut lawns, cut trees, name animals, bring about kind of a zoological mindset to this thing. Nurture, bring out the potentiality of all God's goodness that he created. 
Now, yes, Genesis 3 happened. So many of us are experiencing the thorn and thistles of work and the hard ground that works against us. But in Jesus, we are called to live out the new creation. And somehow in a world of thorns and thistles and hard ground, we are called to live out a story that points towards a much greater story. And one of the ways we do that is regardless of how much you do or you don't love your job, to be a blessing to others by bringing your best. And then finally, number four, sorry, number five, do you provide what is right and fair? Now, all of these questions can be answered without you sticking up a Christian poster on your wall in your cubicle. I'm not saying do or don't do that. I'm saying if you think that's what it means to be a Christian, then I'm saying I think there's a lot more we need to think about. Can people maybe look at how you work and deduce, wow, this person really seems to be working for a far greater purpose? Can we work in that way? And so I'd love to pray for us. I am also so profoundly aware that for many of you, not only is work hard, but for many of you, some of you are without work. Some of you are really in a financial position where you are needing the Lord to come through in some crazy new way. And I'd love to pray for you. But I'd just think about this. If we lived out, whether you are an employer, someone who's such a blessing to the company, and you can't wait to work for this company because of how you are nurtured and looked after by your employer, or whether you are an employee who brings these principles, don't you think that's a win-win-win? Don't you think you'll be noticed? Don't you think that you'll have opportunities that others who work not as hard as you do? Don't you think your integrity will be noticed? I'm not promising anything, I'm just saying on average, this is gonna provide us for an awesome opportunity to live out our faith. So, so let us pray. Father, thank you for fathering us and loving us in this area, even of our workplace. And God, we, this is not something we regularly talk about here at church. And maybe even when we think about it, we just kind of think about it in, in very simplistic categories. And, and you've really opened up a lot of room for thoughts you have reminded us of some realities that we tend to forget that you are the master of us all and there is a reward and there's an accountability for how we do whatever we're doing during the day. Lord, our desire is not to serve you out of fear but to honour you because of how you have loved and served us and because of how we desire to love our neighbours as we love ourselves even in the workplace. And so Lord, would your voice be clear would you highlight in our hearts those areas that you are just wanting to be even more incisive for us to take notice of that and in you repent and think differently and, and do differently. Father, I pray for wisdom as, as, as I'm just trusting that we are experiencing this invitation into living out our faith in a new way at work. I pray for wisdom for what that means for the kinds of decisions that we need to face. Pray for courage, like that story you spoke about earlier where maybe we are faced with a tough decision at an integrity level. I pray for courage to do the loving but right thing. And Father God, I pray for all of those who are, for whom this is such a heart sore discussion, either because of the pains in the workplace or the pains of unemployment, 
Father, I thank you that as a church, we can pray for one another in our life groups. We can be supportive of one another. I thank you that with certain of our ministries, we can even care for some of those in need. But God, I'm asking that in the mysterious ways that you work, that you would lead us as well towards just your Jehovah Jireh, your provision for us, Lord. And I'm just asking your favor on behalf of this church. God, we commit this area of our lives to you. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen, amen.